What if you could get anybody to do anything you wanted? On this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, I'm going to visit with sales trainer Phil Jones. We're going to talk about his magic words. And this is not just for salespeople. In fact, this is for non-salespeople. Check it out. This week's episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Clavio. Clavio is truly a game changer. Unlike traditional email service providers or marketing automation platforms, Clavio offers powerful functionality without long implementation or execution cycles. It gives e-commerce marketers access to all the relevant data from a variety of tools, and it makes it available to power smarter, more personalized campaigns. Bottom line, Clavio helps e-commerce marketers make more money through super-targeted, highly relevant email and advertising campaigns. Learn more at clavio.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jansen. My guest today is Phil Jones. He is a sales trainer and speaker and claims to be on a mission to teach the world to sell by helping non-salespeople to understand how they can use magic words to achieve more influence, stronger relationships, and more sales. So welcome to the show, Phil. Hey, John. Thanks for having me here, and hello to everybody who's listening. So, you know, we've got a lot of salespeople out there that are getting all trained up, and why why you got to go and pick on the non-salespeople? <laughs> well, I think you're right. There are a lot of salespeople out there that are getting all trained up, to use your words. And these guys fall themselves into a... Um, a cool little area that everybody else looks at and says, I don't want to be anything like those people. There's this viewpoint about what a salesperson is, that it's an ugly persona. It's something that no child has ever said in their entire life that when I grow up, I want to be one. Yet everybody in the world finds themselves in a position where they need to influence, to negotiate, to persuade. And then there's all these people in the world that are an expert. They're a good at something kind of person that decide they want to set themselves out into the world of business. And regardless of how good they are at the thing that they're good at, they don't get to be good at the thing they're good at until a sale takes place. So my mission or passion really has found myself in this area of saying, how do I help people who are good at what they do get paid the right money for being good at what they do by helping them stand out from the crowd of the other people who are claiming and perhaps winning business from them through being better at selling as opposed to be better at the thing that they say they're good at? Well, unfortunately, I have to just say that everything you're, you've said so far, I can't really relate to because it's rubbish because I grew up wanting to be a salesperson. Hey, hey good. This one of the, I've like been searching to meet you guys. Uh, actually, my father was, and, and I just thought that was the greatest thing in the world. And, uh, and I think it really, and you wanted to use the word rubbish as well, right? <laughs> That's what you've been waiting to use. Rubbish too. I, I warned you. Um, but, uh, but, but I really think that, I mean, I saw it as a really, noble, interesting, helpful thing. Um, and, and I think that that, you know, it's a shame that so many people have that impression. Well, here's the thing, John, as well. It's like one of the things I ask questions of a lot of my seminars and presentations, I ask people to throw some adjectives some describing words at me that would be used to describe a stereotypical salesperson. Right. And what they lean towards is things like pushy, arrogant, cocky, liar, dishonest, manipulative, and I ask them to think about the picture they see in their head right now, and many of them shudder. And I think this is part of the problem. 
you're in a situation where you understand that there's an art involved. And from reading or studying any of your work, you'll know that selling anything to anybody is not a bad thing. It's about helping identify a need and helping them realize that you're the person to help fix it. So it isn't what being a salesperson is that's the problem. It's people's perception. Yeah, and I imagine some of the folks that probably one of the challenges, biggest challenges the non-sales people think is they think they have to be something else. Correct, something they're not. Yeah, um, and, and I was going to ask you, you know, flat out, what are some of the problem areas and common mistakes? I think we just hit on one, didn't we? <laughs> I think we just found a, a huge one there is that, and people believe also that this whole idea of asking for money from people puts them in the field of being evil and that it's a bad thing to be able to talk about such a thing as money. And I often share the example with people that, you know, if you had to run out into the street and ask strangers for $50 bills, then you'd probably feel a little awkward about it. But if the reason behind it was the fact that you had maybe somebody who was the other end of town that was awaiting some form of emergency transport plan mm-hmm. and we needed to raise funds to get a helicopter to bring it from the other end of the country, how would you feel about running out asking for money right now? And people are jumping up and down happy to be able to do it. So it's not that they're fearful of asking for money, but they're kind of fearful for asking for money because they don't like it being seen as something for their personal gain or don't like to feel like they're making a profit from somebody. You um, have spent a great deal of your work uh, around this idea of magic words. And if I can just take a stab at what I think it is, it's, it's really kind of a way to create a device that I think makes people a little more comfortable with getting to the right conversations. But uh, obviously, you're going to go a lot deeper. So tell us, tell us about this idea of magic words. Well, what I've realized from working with people all around the world in sales and non-sales environments is often the difference between somebody who gets great results and somebody who gets not so different results outside of the effort and the energy and the attitude type things we know to be important is knowing exactly what to say, when to say it and how to make it count. And we all know that people like to actually buy things. So the minute you can make the path of least resistance yes, as opposed to no, then what happens is decision-making gets easier. I've learned that people hate making decisions. So if there becomes a natural path to follow, then people are happy to be able to run down those tracks too. And what I've learned through experience and then working with thousands of people around the world is there are certain sequences of words that just happen to bypass this whole proposition of maybe that's costing people an absolute fortune in business and lead towards a yes or no by having the subconscious brain do the work as opposed to people having to make their own mind up. Go ahead, John. Well, I was going to say, I want to get into some of the words, but I want to, before we even dive into those, I want to discuss this idea of yes or no. Um, A lot of times I think people, salespeople where they fail is they, they, they figure, as long as I don't have a no, I'm still in the game. Um, and, and that's what leads to endless proposals and uh, endless emails and, and wringing their hands. I mean, a lot of sales training folks pretty much say, look, you, you, you want yes or no as fast as possible. Right. And, and, and no's are important. My dictionary definition of what a salesperson is is a professional mind maker upper. And I think that's what people's job is, to help the other person make their mind up. Indecision is the killer of all opportunity. And if we can do anything to help somebody make their mind up quickly, we can increase the rate of decision and find more success. So no's are a good thing, providing that's not all you get. Right. And they hurt. I've heard this every no is one step closer to a yes thing, but that in my mind too is utter nonsense because every time I've had someone say no to me, I've beaten myself up about it. I've wondered what I've done wrong. I've found myself up at night wondering how I could have done things differently. So getting to that decision quickly and then getting over it quickly 
is one of the keys to being able to get yourself ahead of the pack. Yeah, I, th- I think I always found that you know that that I hated the the no or the the maybe land the I need more information <laughs> land because it just wasted a lot of time because in many cases most cases in my experience it still led to a no it just took you just bled to death you know instead well uh, let, let's take that maybe thing for a second right and the maybe thing gets described and 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 perhaps even comes out in a variety of different guises but one of the sequences of words that we hear a lot back from customers or potential customers is these words I just need some time to think about. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to think about what that really means from an objection point of view, because I'm certain what it doesn't really mean is that they're going to go home and do a SWOT analysis about whether they will or won't move forward with you, or they're going to invite board members in to do a pros and cons about whether you're the right person for the job. It means I'm pushing this decision away for another day. And I used to hate this thing when people would say I need some time to think about it because the time to think about it to me was now we were in the room together being able to put ourselves in a situation to lead this decision. And all I wanted to say to these people was things like, 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 what is it? Just tell me what it is that you want to think about. We'll probably find a solution. We can work around it. We can find a way to make it work. Yeah. What are you, what, what actually are you afraid of? That's my, that's my favorite. Uh, but people are so scared of being able to ask these big, brave decision, uh, questions yeah. to people to get to that nitty gritty. So they say things like, it's OK, I'll leave it with you. And they say things like, OK, we're ready when you're ready. No rush, no pressure, because they don't want to be seen as this pushy salesperson. Yeah. And this was one of those areas where I started to learn that word choices could allow you to be able to frame things so you could get to the key pieces of information that otherwise you wouldn't by changing the way that other people perceive the thing that you're really asking so you can get to the thing you really want. And here's an example of some magic words is I learned that if you preface any direct, awkward or obnoxious question with the words just out of curiosity, you can ask whatever the hell you like and you can turn something that would have been obnoxious and rude into something that was soft and fluffy. So if we take that example of I need some time to think about it and you want to scream and shout at them to get to the heart of the issue, instead of doing that, and you just said to the same person just out of curiosity, what is it specifically you need some time to think about? Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you've reversed the control in the conversation and got yourself into a situation they need to give you an honest answer, which is all you were truly looking for. You weren't looking for them to buy you or buy the thing that went with you. You just wanted the truth so you could get to the point of being able to find something agreeable. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of times I, I can't make a decision is really my, in some cases it just means I don't have the, I don't have enough information. We haven't talked about what the real problem is. And, you know, a lot of salespeople go in and, and assume what somebody's objectives are and you never get around to it. And so all of a sudden it's kind of in this stall. And um, sometimes it's the money. John. Yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. it's yeah, flat yeah. out the money yeah. and people aren't afraid, aren't brave enough to be able to say it, mm-hmm. but you're better to know it. Yeah, yeah. And I know you work with a lot of consultants and trainers, etc. People can offer them some help. But they don't know whether they're $500, $5,000 or $50,000. And they yeah. find themselves loving everything you're about. You present a price and it's five times the number they have available to them at this moment in time. But they love you so much they don't want to tell you the truth. Yeah, <laughs> really great point. So tell, tell, I, I believe you. I mean, I think this just out of curiosity, you're right. It, it sort of, I don't, know, I don't know what the right term is, but it sort of softens it in a way, but it actually just makes it approachable. So do you have a sense of why that is so powerful? Well, everything in conversation is about permission. Yeah. And what it allows us to be able to do is it just gives us some purpose for asking the rude, obnoxious question. Yeah. It allows you to be able to, for them to be able to say, well, okay, it's not, it's not because he had to have the answer. He was just curious. 
now that he's just curious, what you've almost created is a hypothetical scenario. And in a hypothetical scenario, it's easier to be able to make decisions. I remember playing a game as a kid with my sister that was the easiest game in the world when we were bored and it was raining out. We'd take my mum's shopping catalogue. And at nine years old, we could play the game, what do you want on this page? So we could run through every page of the shopping catalog and I could choose which hairdryer I would want, which set of scales I would like, which pots and pans I would like. I mean, I was nine years of age. I didn't have a house. It didn't matter to me. But picking in a hypothetical context is easy. So somehow just lifting it out of the reality you're in and taking an elevator above it just allows you to be able to go, okay, I owe the guy a decision. Mm -hmm. What's important, though, about asking those kind of questions is the ability to shut the hell up after you've asked them. You can't start (laughs) suggesting possible (laughs) options or alternatives. You just have to stay quiet and the silence becomes your friend. And I think, you know, I hear people in sales saying, well, this guy's great. He's got the gift of the gab or he's the one with all the words. Mm -hmm. Yet most of those people are sales prevention officers as opposed to people who truly go out and get results. So many of your customers will talk you into, talk themselves into choosing you if you stay quiet long enough. Hmm. And this be one of those examples. Yeah, and I, I, I love that, but I know for a lot of people, sitting in silence, you know, can you imagine? Because, you know, I've had instances where, where you, you throw it out there and it's like, I'm not talking till you talk. And it's, you know, it's 10 seconds seems like about 10 minutes. Um, in that about three weeks, yeah. <laughs> but, but I think once you do it and you experience it a couple of times, you get pretty sold on it, don't you? And I think it's also the body language that comes alongside it, too. Right. It's not this aggressive silence where what you're doing is leaning in towards the other person yeah. saying, come on, come on, yeah. almost goading a result. Yeah, who's going bl- to blink first? <laughs> and Yeah, and there's a position I think that we need to adopt as professional salespeople is that just south of arrogant position. You know, yeah. It's that high level of confidence. It's this, it's this, I've got this. It's this when you turn up to the 100-meter race with your seven-year-old daughter alongside you thinking, if I need to win, I know I can, but I'm allowing this one to go on <laughs> for the purpose of the lesson. Yeah. It's that level of I've got this. Yeah, yeah. And that, that comes through experience. So, so, so I want to I see if you'll share a couple more examples, but I, I'm, I'm having trouble getting past why a nine-year-old would want a hairdryer. <laughs> well, I have the same problem too when I look back on it. But we all have our own our own weirdness in our lives, right? And I didn't want them. I just knew if I did want one, that was the one I'd have. All right. So give me a couple examples if you wouldn't mind. A couple more examples. Okay. I mean, of course, yeah. Well, let's give you a quick and easy one, one that you can start to use in your life. As long as your listeners promise not to go use this on friends, family, and loved ones to get them to agree to do things. And this is a set of words you can use to get just about anybody to choose just about anything at a given period of time. You often find yourself in the position, particularly as an expert, where what you're looking to be able to do is to tell the other person what to do. But it becomes very difficult to tell the other person what to do because you don't want to appear rude and obnoxious. Now, you can't do that, but you can do it if you just substitute a few words around. And it works on some basic principles that people like safety in numbers. We take great confidence from the fact that other people like us have followed a certain path before us. Plus, we like telling people what to do, providing they don't feel like they're being told what to do. Now, if what you do is you phrase the thing you'd like the other person to do with the words most people, Mm. what now happens subconsciously in the other person's head is they realize that they too are most people. So that's what they should do. Imagine yourself in a situation where you are sat in procrastination with a client where they can't choose between your bronze package and your silver package. And they're just 50-50 between the two options. Instead of you saying, I think you should take the silver, 
you say, well, what most people tend to do is to start themselves off on the silver package. That way they get to experience our service. If for any reason it doesn't work out, you can always drop down to the bronze. And if you find yourself wanting more, you can step up on the gold. That's what most people would do. Yeah. And you watch the world go, okay, yeah. I'm happy with that. Yeah, and you see tons of examples of that even online. So not even human, but you know, you see the gold, silver, bronze package and and, and they'll have most popular, you know, under the silver. Yeah. 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 So the words most people will allow you to be able to tell the other person what to do and they get you out of pockets of indecision time and time again. Yeah. And let's give you another one. You wanted a couple of examples. Yeah. Yep, Is Sometimes you find yourself wanting to introduce something to somebody, but you're certain that you might get some rejection from them or you're fearful of that rejection. So here's a set of words that you can use to introduce just about anything to just about anybody at any given time where it's completely rejection free. And what you do is you position your idea to the left or to the right of somebody, and then you use a powerful three-letter word. A powerful three-letter word that we've had used on us time and time again, and we know what it means. The powerful three-letter word is the word but, because we know the word but negates just about anything that was placed out in front of it. I mean, for anybody who's been in a corporate ladder and received feedback from an employer that says you're a really valuable member of the team, we love everything we do, we love what you're about, but... We remember everything that follows. So but is powerful. Let's mm. see how that plays into this sequence of words. If I want to introduce just about anything to just about anybody, well, I could say the words, look, I'm not sure if it's for you, but. Mm -hmm. Now, what that allows me to be able to do is to make it rejection free. The fact that I say I'm not sure if it's for you, little voice inside its head says, well, what is it? <laughs> so it creates curiosity and intrigue towards the thing. Naturally, they lean in. They want to find out more. The word but means little voice really heard you might want to look at this the worst anybody says is what is it that's interesting the best somebody says is tell me some more this sounds like it could be just for me what it allows you to be able to do is to share stories about the type of work that you do the results of the work that you do and build a reputation that could lead to an abundance of new clients without saying would you like to buy my xyz package it, it, it kind of also feels like it has the 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 effect of taking it away a little bit before you've even right. given it. So it's kind of like, what do you mean it's not for me? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it does. It yeah. just creates this little inward motivation to say, tell me more about it. Yeah. And it's it's the fact that we're giving somebody an out in the back door. And you'll see this happen on online stuff. It's yeah. The minute you allow people or, or don't force them down a path and allow them the fact that they can get out of jail, then they feel more confident to be able to take the leap of faith and find out more. Now, you introduced this idea um, when you said, as long as you don't use this uh, for evil. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so, so where, do, where do people who take you know, powerful concepts like this to maybe sell stuff to people that people don't really need or that they really can't afford? or that I mean, is there a fine line you know, between using something to help people get a result and using something to you know, quasi-scam somebody? The end of the day, whatever it is that you're looking to be able to ask the other person to part with money for is if you don't believe with absolute certainty it's worth it and some, you've got a problem. Quite literally, is if you're not convinced that it's worth it, you cannot convince somebody that it's worth it. So you need to be able to do some of this with some ethics inside of you to be certain that you can deliver value. So I'm talking about that area of influence and persuasion when you've got somebody who's got a genuine need for your products or services. It's not about... You know, ice to Eskimos as a standard for great salesmanship is a complete problem in my mind because yeah. the Eskimo wakes up tomorrow with an issue. And in today's marketplace, I don't think there is much time for 
shysters or con artists or the people that have existed so much in our past because of the transparency that exists through the internet, because reputation is the thing that we need to be able to protect more than anything else. And the consumer is far more educated than they ever have been at any mm -hmm. point in buying history that, well, I certainly sleep better at night knowing that if somebody is going to use a good tool for the wrong reasons, they will get caught out and it will come back around again. Yeah, that, that is so true. The, the, you know, sort of the fool me once thing, you know, <laughs> kind of blows up in people's face, I guess, because, uh, you know, tomorrow somebody will have a YouTube channel talking about it. This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Active Campaign. This is really my new go-to CRM, ESP, marketing automation, really low cost. Any size business can get into it, uh, starting at like 19 bucks a month. You can keep track of your clients. You can see who is visiting your website. You can follow up based on behavior. Check out Active Campaign. There'll be a link in the show notes, but it's ducttape.me slash DTM active. So let's talk about the, the, the whole human element of, of sales. Uh, so much just what you talked about. The buyer doesn't wake up and call up three companies and say, send me your salesperson anymore. Uh, they go online, they research, they go to Facebook, they ask their friends, uh, and, and in many cases have maybe you know, made 70% of their decision before a salesperson ever gets there. Does that, I mean, how does that impact the role of the salesperson? It, it impacts in that it evolves. Salespeople are unlikely to go out of fashion. They just need to evolve and change with the marketplace. Yeah. What you are is you're meeting consumers who far more often are educated to a point of being dangerous. And this has come through as a result of the internet. So you do need to find yourself in a position where you often need to reestablish credibility in a conversation with a consumer to help them realize that you're truly the expert. Now, you often meet a client that says, I've read about this, this and this, and what I'd like to be able to buy is this. And you know that that thing's the wrong thing about yeah, for them. Yeah, yeah. So learning more sets of magic, magic words by being able to reopen the box again. Words like, so what do you understand about? Mm -hmm. Now, if you preface a question with what do you understand about? the differences between us and people like us. Now, all of a sudden, the consumer's thinking, well, maybe I don't know as much as I should. Yeah. You don't need certainty to sell anything to anybody. You need doubt to reestablish expertise to create a new version of certainty in them choosing you. So that's a big, big change. Yeah. But yeah. The, the other big change that comes in here is people's perception of the fact that you still don't need a salesperson. Yeah. Now, I see lots of people that have developed fantastic online funnels that get mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. to take their lead mm -hmm. bait, for example. Right. So they've generated some success through a hundred people have downloaded their free report on their white paper, on their ebook, on something. And then they send a series of email autoresponders and wonder why people don't buy. One of the things that we do a lot of is that we introduce a simple process into these autoresponder processes that when somebody downloads the first piece of lead bait, we introduce a telephone conversation. And the telephone conversation runs something like this. I can see that you're on our website the other day and you, you downloaded XYZ report. I'm just checking that it downloaded okay. Not did you read it, did you like it, what did you take from it? Because chances are they didn't read it anyway. Did it download okay? Now that we've asked a question early on in the conversation and we've gained a yes back from it, we now have permission to continue the conversation. So it's what was it that brought you to the website in the first place? 
now we're into understanding a problem about how a true consultative or service-based proposition can help them as opposed to allowing automation to be able to do the whole thing through clever copywriting or a series of emails. Yeah, so I, I think there, okay. there's place that these things can come together. And I think that's brilliant too because I, I have seen tons of research that it's sort of um, – it, it's sort of in conflict, but it you know people want to go out and find the find these websites, find the answers, find the downloads, but they ultimately want that guide still. And, and they think, absolutely want it. Yeah, and so I think it's the companies that can put those two elements together that are really rocking it. And I was only having this discussion earlier on today is that we live in the information age. There is so much of it out there that it's now almost impossible to decipher (laughs) which one of these experts should I lean on, which one of these products should I could buy, because the information is now conflicting, which is bringing it back to more of those old fashioned scenarios of what feels right, coupled with the fact that people want to be wanted. So if you can introduce a human element to a online proposition and say, hey, hey, I would really like you to be my customer. That in itself could be enough to allow somebody to choose you as opposed to somebody like you. Good, good stuff. Phil, where can people find out more about you and how to pick up a copy of Magic Words? Um, Well, you go to Amazon and you can find more stuff on Magic Words. You can find some YouTube videos. There's an abundance of stuff on my app, which is completely free. Head on over to philmjones.com and you'll find links to everything that you could possibly find. And if you search Phil with the M in the middle, Jones, then you'll find me all over the internet in different places. But if you miss the M, you'll find England's future soccer captain who uh, has stolen all of my Google rankings and I will never, ever, ever, ever be able to beat because he's written about 50 times a day. (laughs) There there are a number of folks like yourself that uh, have somewhat common names that have uh, had had to (laughs) resort to the uh, some sort of vehicle like that to to get themselves to ahead of an NBA star or an astronaut or a politician or something. So, yeah, my yeah. my mission is to become the most famous Phil Jones. So I've got some work to go. <laughs> the second most famous Phil Jones has a nice ring to it too, though. So. Yeah, it works. It <laughs> works. Let's make a difference, though, buddy. And John, thank you for having me on. Oh, it was my pleasure, and uh, hopefully we will catch up with you out there on the road, Phil. Very much so. Have a good one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. 
So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.